Welcome to Pageant Planet's podcast, where we share stories and strategies to help expand and connect the global pageant community. Visit pageantplanet.com to find pageants, hire coaches, shop for dresses, and more. Now, here's this week's episode. Welcome, everyone, to another Pageant Planet podcast. This is the podcast for contestants who want to be inspired and discover how to win the crown. I'm Jessie Ledoux McMullen, Pageant Planet's Queen of Customer Success, and I'm joined by Miss America 2018, Cara Mund. Today, we are wrapping up our three-part platform series, and we are discussing how to communicate your platform. So, Cara, remind us what a platform is. Yes, so a platform is a cause, an issue, or a topic that you choose to promote during your time as a title holder. Most pageant systems require contestants to select a platform prior to the pageant, maybe write an essay about the platform, and are usually asked questions about it during the onstage interview and onstage question portion of competition. So it's important to know your platform well um, and to be passionate about the issue so that during your reign, you can continue to advocate um, and really take advantage of the doors of opportunity that opened for you. And what was your platform? Remind us what that was. So my platform was a Make-A-Wish Passion with Fashion. And again, going back to, to episode one, being able to really communicate what that platform is early on um, in your interview, letting judges know. So having that title is important. So go back and listen to, to that episode. Um, but for specifically for mine, it was a, a topic that people knew, okay, Make-A-Wish. And then they were curious what the passion with fashion was about, which really allowed me to, to kind of lead the interview and know usually what my first question was going to be. Mm -hmm. So I actually misspoke there. I said, what was your platform? Um, Platform should not be past tense. So once you're done competing, you shouldn't be stopping your platform. You should still be involved. So I did misspeak there. So I'm glad I caught that. But um, if you did miss the previous two episodes, we discussed the foundation for how to start a platform and how to connect your platform with the community. So today we're talking about communicating your platform because you can't have all that beautiful groundwork done and then it stops. You have to be able to share that with the world. So Cara, what's first? Yeah, so first you need to identify your audience. So if you remember in episode one, we talked about your platform being a wheel mm-hmm. uh, and the theme in the middle. So that's that's the beginning part is the theme. And then the spokes are the different segments that you're going to talk about. And you can't just build a platform around talking to children or talking to women. You really need to find a way to approach it um, to multiple demographics, because as a title holder, you're not going to always get that group of people that you're hoping to speak with. Mm-hmm. And so making it relatable to all is is really important and specifically your judges too I mean if you have a platform that's primarily related to women's issues how are you going to communicate it to your male judges and and get them really on board of the importance yeah I would suggest honing in on the two demographics that are most impacted directly by your platform and build specialized messages for those interactions so action items that we'll start talking about um, specific resources that you're catering to them but then Outside of those two that you've identified, you'll want one geared towards children because nobody loves a queen and a crown more than a kid. 
And you have a very captive audience there. You'll also want one for teens because teens are the next generation of leaders. So you really want to make sure that you're able to communicate with them um, effectively. And finally, for adults. So obviously, if one of your key demos is already covered in those, so if it's teens, you don't need to dive in twice. Like that teen presentation from your key demo will also be your teen presentation um, for those general conversations. So, so Cara, what were your key demographics and how did you prepare for those opportunities? Yes. So what's interesting is, you know, with Make-A-Wish Foundation, it's children between the ages of two and a half to 18 that qualify. Mm. But that really wasn't my target demographic, um, that that whole area, because Make-A-Wish Foundation, I mean, if you have a life threatening illness, you're really going to be impacted by it personally and, and get to, you know, see what the organization's all about. I had outside of that to get on and so I was looking at peers so at, at the time I was 14 and so finding people my age that would be interested in getting involved and specifically with volunteerism when you when you can target individuals early on and get them on board with the mission it's more likely to continue throughout the rest of their life mm -hmm. so I I really focused on my peer group but then also recognizing that our organization at the time was really focused on you know fundraising and, and raising those funds to help make wishes come true and so I also needed to to reach out to individuals who had the capabilities um, to, to be able to donate. So, you know, those those older adults and at 14 years old, trying to, to seem relatable or seem credible is, is difficult. And so recognizing some of those struggles. But, um, you know, I, I needed someone that would be able to donate, but also not just the financial aspect, but the time aspect. So peers, too. Yeah, I love that you said that because you really do have to cater your ask because you're not just speaking to speak for your health. You're speaking to inspire people to get involved. But if you're talking to teens and you say, OK, for five dollars a day, you could help support a wish or whatever your platform is and how that relates to it. They're going to say, OK, but like that's like my allowance for the week for taking out the trash. So they won't be able to help you reach that goal. But if you talk to adults that, like you said, it's the capability aspect. So the message is tailored to what you are hoping to gain to support your platform from each person. Um, so I love that you outlined that. So um, let's talk about social media. And I need to tell you one of my biggest pet peeves. You hear a lot of my pet peeves. Um, <laughs> so when so when you're a judge, because you've been a judge many times, even for Miss Universe, you've been a judge for so many different systems. When you ask a contestant how they're going to promote the pageant or their platform, and they say, I'm going to use social media. And they leave it at that. And do you know why that annoys me? that you can't quantify that at all. Mm -hmm. And it's it's such a blanket statement. And the next question is how? And um, just get it out at the beginning. Is that why it bugs you? Yeah, it's the vagueness. You're right. And then oftentimes, more often than not, if you say, well, how? It's, well, I'll use Instagram or I'll use Facebook. And then it's even still vague. So you need to dive into something specific. If you're going to use social media, let's talk about that. So, so Cara, what are some of the different ways you've seen contestants effectively use social media that they could talk about specifically in their interviews? Yes, really, again, being able to quantify. We talk about this, I think, in both of the, the first two episodes. So make sure to, to listen to both of those if you haven't yet. But, I mean, you can do takeovers. Um, so, you know, if you have the opportunity, if, if it's a local organization, to, to partner with that local organization on their channel and your channel, great ways to do it. Um, I know I did it a lot as Miss America. So, you know, being able, you know, you can, you can do a live with the organization. 
you know, great ways to, to continue to promote your messaging while also promoting the organization. TikTok, you know, the, the mini tips. I mean, 60 seconds is such a great way to really get your message out. And as a title holder, you usually only get about 60 seconds to be able to, to talk about what's important to you. So it's great training too for the opportunity of onstage questions and interviews. So keeping that in mind as well. Um, we talked a little bit about lives um, that I had said with takeovers. So, you know, keeping those those lives and really giving you another an opportunity to get questions that can help you for interview, to help you for onstage question. You can really identify maybe some of the holes in your, your platform that you weren't expecting. And so another great way, 30-day um, challenges, I've seen that as well. Um, so being really, really creative with it. But then also recognizing that, you know, social media really leaves a lasting imprint. And so when you tell judges, I want to promote with social media, your judge might go look and see if you've already been doing it. Mm -hmm. And so make sure that, that you practice what you preach as well. Yeah, that reliability is important. Um, I remember we had some contestants, uh, I shouldn't say some, we had one specific contestant and she wanted to talk about healthy eating and fitness for teens. And she was the most active teen I can remember. And she said, I'm going to do a Fit Friday. I'm going to do a tip every Friday on how you can lead a healthy lifestyle. I said, well, there's a lot of Fridays coming up in your life. Are you going to be able to do that? Because the worst case scenario is you do it and you fizzle. And then when they go to look, they see you haven't built. She goes, nope, I'm going to do it. And I think she still does it today. This is like three years later. And she's still like crushing these tips. So you can do it. There is enough content. And there's so much content available to you. Like I can scroll TikTok for hours and hours and hours. And I'm like, yo. I don't know why I said, yo, that's like so out of character for me. <laughs> you could say, oh my gosh, I could, I could take that trend and I could make it my own in a way that fits for my platform. Um, and then the other thing I want to say is too, is tee yourself up for success. So if you're going to say on social media, I want everyone to wear pink for breast cancer awareness on a random day, um, have all your friends, all your family do it also. So you can start that because once they do it, some other people will see it. They'll want to tag along. So um, stack the pond or stock the pond in your favor, too. So have your friends, mm -hmm. family, loved ones, uh, pageant directors, pageant sisters get involved, too. So prepare in advance so that you have the biggest splash possible with social media. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Hashtags, tag. I mean, again, we, we talked a little bit in our last episode about the importance of the networking and how the algorithm works. So again, it can just really build your brand. It can really build your mission um, and also provides you more content that you feel more aware of what your platform really is. How do you feel about um, people using hashtags as their pageant platform title? Have you seen that? And what are your thoughts on it? I have. Um, I personally don't love it. Um, I, I never dock a contestant for it. Um, but it's it's something that I mean, it's a great way to incorporate your platform. Uh, but I don't necessarily think it's a great title. And also, it's coming out. So, you know, years later, people might not know what that is, and, and maybe they will. Um, but, you know, recognizing, being able to put a quantitative, this is my title, this is my platform, this is what I'm going to do with it. And, and hashtags really are a great way of building community and networking rather than just a title in its own. Um, but it's up to the contestant, too, and I, I would never dock for it. Yeah, I, I agree. And the, the title could be your hashtag. Mm -hmm. Like, we talk about the spokes of the wheel, so maybe the hashtag is a way you're creating a community around your platform. But I, I agree. I like having a nice, clean title. And then the hashtag can certainly be a part of it. So um, I've seen it trending a lot more. 
Um, so take that for what it's worth for those that are listening. Um, so you mentioned on our last episode how you use social media to support your event um, prior to being Miss America. Um, but just refresh us. How did you use uh, Facebook or other social media during that time? Yes. So leading up to the competition, I would talk a lot about what I was already doing, the years that I had done it. I think that's really important, too, as contestants, you know, really recognizing if this is something you've done for a long period of time, letting your base know that, letting letting your community or followers know that this isn't something you just, you know, figured out for this pageant and um, it's something you're going to continue. And so that was that was something that I really emphasized. Um, Obviously, you know, as you go up and you go from a local title holder to a state title holder to a national national title holder, that base grows. And so I felt a lot more responsibility because I Mm. knew that my platform wasn't just impacting my community. At this point, it was the state and then it was national. Um, So, you know, I made sure to to post pretty frequently, letting people know that this is something I'm important, that's important to me. I'm not just, you know, this crown and sash traveling around. Um, But then also recognizing that you have a lot of obligations as a title holder. And so it's okay not to always post about your platform. Um, You have to, you have to, you know, balance it out. But also recognizing, you know, if you have, you know, six posts and you haven't talked about it, maybe it's a good time again to to go back and circle back in, especially if you did have a lot of those quantifiable goals we talked about, uh, because you want to stay on track and you want to stay driven um, to your to your overall mission. Yeah. And um, did you have a lot of time for social media during your year as Miss America or did you use it more pre and post? Yeah. So as Miss America, I mean, we definitely had to to keep the page active and engaged. Um, this really changed like throughout my year, um, kind of the, you know, what I was allowed to do, what I wasn't allowed to do. But when I had like full freedom of the account, I would really try to get as much up as possible. Um, so that was that was important to me and letting people know again that it's not just it's not just a title. It's not just being Miss America, but there's a passion and a cause behind it. And so really getting that messaging out was was important. That's a question I get a lot, too, is do I need a separate social media handle or profile for my platform? Um, I personally don't think so. I think just make a public figure page if you're not comfortable making it your personal page. Uh, If your personal page is something that is um, geared more toward your pageant experiences and not necessarily your personal life, I think it's totally fine to incorporate it then. I think you actually isolate people if you create a separate page because they are not learning more about you and the why. um, And you're not attracting new people to your platform if you're finding you're, you're just hitting your target audience. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I agree. And you know, your your platform's not separate. It's it's part of you. Mm-hmm. And so I think I think that's really important. And for judges that do have the ability to look you up on social media prior to, um, you know, if you have all, all of these different pages you know, even if you have just one specific platform page and maybe you haven't been as active on it because you've been focusing more on your personal page and all of mm-hmm. your pageant prep, they're going to wonder, well, why isn't she posting about it or, you know, continuing that. So, um, you know, I, I do think it's important to, to not separate them. And and again, it kind of goes back to this isn't just uh, a passion for, you know, a one day event or a week event. It's something that you're going to continue throughout your year of service. You're probably going to continue it throughout the rest of your life, I hope, because it's something you're so passionate about. Um, so again, not not making that separation or that divide. 
So let's talk in-person engagements. Um, and the biggest, most of the biggest impact you'll have as a title holder are those face-to-face -face interactions. And again, 2020 and so far 2021 being like an outlier year for all of that. Uh, some of my most meaningful appearances were meeting kids after school in their computer labs to walk them through how to use volunteer resources. And I loved that because they usually reacted well to someone teaching them um, and providing them skills that they could use themselves before, like, instead of just being talked at. So they could take that skill and apply it to themselves, take it with them. Uh, and therefore, my critical tip for in-person presentations is to have three immediate action items um, that your guidance can, from your guidance that they can use when you're not able to be there to guide them personally. You should be the catalyst. They shouldn't just be able to make that impact when you're there. Mm. Did you have any of those with your platform? Yeah, a little bit. I guess for me, there was there was so much on the fundraising aspect because it really came down to raising the funds to make our mission and our goal happen. And specifically in the, in the organization I was partnering with, I mean, you had to be certified to be able to do a lot the hands-on experience. So I got that certification. And so so I, I was, you know, qualified in that end. But when you're reaching out to a larger base and showing the importance of your organization, you know, it was it was being able to tell a story that when I left, you know, days later, they thought about it. Or, you know, knowing that when they hear about Make-A-Wish, they're going to, to remember what I had said. They're going to remember some of the stories. They're going to remember the impact. Maybe they'll remember, you know, the chain of how it works, like all of the money staying in the state, helping helping the wishes right here. You know, so so getting some of those important, um, I guess, just like facts out there that I know that they'll think about later was was one of my main goals. Yeah, if you're building your platform and you're trying to grasp onto what those specific details are, here are some examples. If you are working with kids, can you create a really cute handout that maybe they're coloring in and bringing with them? Or if they're a teen, is it a worksheet? Um, is there an app that your platform has that really can hit them where they are? Like they're on their mobile. Every, well, I shouldn't say they. Everyone's on their mobiles constantly. So is there an app? Are there hands-on projects you can do? Is there something visual? I, I remember there was a contestant that she was talking about, um, what was the platform? It was something about being on the inside and she would hold up, um, a box of Oreos and she would hold up a box of cereal and she, which one do you like more? And they would of course all pick the Oreos. She would open them both up and there were Oreos in the cereal box and there was cereal in the Oreo box. And I hope I didn't just ruin her secrets. Um, but I just thought that was so powerful. I mean, imagine being a kid and that's the visual. So mm -hmm. there has to be some kind of a hook that really draws them in. It's not just a, of vocal presentation. I don't think that always works, but like you said, specific stats or details that they can remember or specific activities they can do are so important. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And something they can take with. I think that's a that's a really great point. While you were saying that, I was thinking back to like some of some of the things when I was younger. And I remember getting bookmarks for some reason mm -hmm. that would always have like the organization on it. And so while I wasn't like constantly looking like what was that organization, every time I'd open my book, I would see it. Mm -hmm. um, it's, not only are these meaningful, but they're what prepare you the most for your personal interview. Um, also, additional appearances after you potentially you know gain the crown. Um, so on stage question is a great way 
way to get out those nerves. So when you have media interviews, you you feel well prepared. Um, but you never know what time you'll be asked a question that's maybe related to your platform. And so really being able to, to kind of go back in your memory bank and think, oh, this is a really great story to tell, or this is a really great fact to have. Um, you know, and if you if you find yourself being asked the same question or the same topic over and over, it's either an area of interest that people are just really wanting to know more about, maybe it's really timely um, and, and, a, and a great thing to bring in, or maybe it's, you know, something that you're, you're not really realizing you're missing in your presentation or in your answers to a question. And so really being able to identify those because those are obviously issues that are very, you know, worthwhile when it comes to addressing. Yeah, and there's no limit on that time you're talking with those people, right? You're not in an actual interview. So you can go back and forth as many times as you feel like you need to. And we talk about building stories for talking about your platform. And sometimes you can convince people about your platform um, in those conversations. And those stories are so valuable because you're proving that, okay, I, I came, I talked about my platform. I had someone that maybe wasn't fully bought in. We had this great conversation and here's the one, two, three points I gave them. Um, and we talked through those and then they had a volunteer experience afterwards and it was really positive. And I can use that as I talk to others. So um, it's so much of it not only prepares you for the interview, but it also gives you more content to talk about. We talk about that platform spoke of the wheel, like maybe that's a spoke on your wheel. So um, were there any topics that you didn't think about that came to light in these conversations with Make-A-Wish? Yes. You know, it was interesting because it was kind of a, a flip the other way. I was doing all of these events and I was really able to to speak about, you know, why Make-A-Wish was important to me, why I got involved. And so I felt like I got a lot of that preparation going into interview. So then when I went to interview, I was ready to tell those stories. I knew what people were interested mm -hmm. in. Um, but something that really surprised me was, at least with, with Miss Miracle Organization, was that they had a platform that was Children's Miracle Network Hospitals. Mm -hmm. And Make-A-Wish, you know, to me, they seem like very parallel organizations. Typically, a wish child is getting treated in a CMNH hospital. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, it made sense. But for people who weren't so closely related to, to each organization or maybe just to CMNH on its own, they seemed like competing organizations. And um, so I kind of had to, you know, I remember the first time I was asked, well, how are you going to promote both? And for me, it was it was so obvious because it's like, well, I'm going in CMNH hospitals. I get to meet with wish children. And so while one is enhancing the quality of life, the other one is sustaining the quality mm. of life. Um, and so that that was really important to me. And so being able to, to recognize like this is obviously an issue that's probably going to come up. Um, and then also looking at like, do I want to change my platform because this is something that keeps coming up? Mm -hmm. And you know, I felt very passionate about Make-A-Wish. I knew that they, they work really well together. So if I could convince my judges, there was really no point to, to change <laughs> it. Uh, and sure enough, my onstage question during the prelims of Miss America was if you become Miss America, how are you going to balance your obligations as the national goodwill ambassador of CMNH with Make-A-Wish. And again, it was, you know, I'd been answering that question so many times and it was something I was prepared for. Uh, and it was because I was so actively engaged and, and you know, I, I really recognized like this shouldn't be an issue. I need to, I need to debunk it. Mm -hmm. um, and then when I became Miss America, it was still a question that came across. And so, you know, really recognizing that the conversations you're having, the questions you're having, they're probably not just one person. And so mm -hmm. really keep Keeping those in the back of your mind of okay, this is this is something that I get out for. I'll be prepared to always answer, and um, it really, I mean, it really, I think helped me in my success to to win the title. 
I could not agree with every single word you just mm-hmm. said more because like you just don't know what people are going to ask you when you're just having regular conversations. And let's remember judges aren't pageant judges aren't paid pageant judges that travel from pageant to pageant and ask these questions. They are real people that want to learn more about this. They have the same questions. So I I love that. I think the more you can get out in the community and be approachable, be willing to field these conversations because they will prepare you more than anything else will for the interview round. And um, love, love, love that. And you brought up an interesting point too. A lot of pageants do have their own underlying platform. Um, so you you hit on that. Do you think it's a positive or negative to have a different platform? Um, maybe even if they're not as closely related as Make-A-Wish and CMNH was. I don't think so. Um, I mean, it really shows how multidimensional you are. Again, you're going to be doing, you know, appearances as a title holder that aren't going to be related to your platform. And so, you know, being able to to speak about organizations that aren't your personal platform, being able to show and and build a connection and a bond with something that that you didn't personally pick, but was rather kind of assigned by competing in this pageant. Um, and I know for me too, because I had two different organizations and I had to really know the differences between the two. I think. I think it really showed the judges wow she's done a lot of her research like she she knows the difference between the two and what the what the target market is what the impact that differentiates them um which also made me kind of stand up a, li- a little bit further ahead of the crowd mm-hmm. i think there's two things i want to mention on it one is if you make the national platform your platform if you ever change pageants what happens Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing is, where's your identity in that? It may be a perfect personal connection for you. And if that's the case, great. But I wouldn't make the title of the national platform your platform personally. I would have your own version of it if you are going to have the same. The second piece of that is, if you have a platform that's totally different from this. So say it's entrepreneurial leadership for women and the platform is bullying. So there is probably some kind of connection there, um, being able to stand up in a group of people um, that are not your peers and prove yourself over and over again. It's not necessarily bullying, but it does have some kind of a correlation. So you could make one of your spokes the uh, common thread between the national platform and your platform. That way, if you get a question like Cara got, um, you're able to spin that in that direction. So you don't, so long story short, I personally don't think you need to mesh your platforms together. I think you can very much have two separate ones as long as you've thought critically about how they can work together to enhance the brand, both of the platform and for your pageant itself. Yeah, I can't cool. agree more. I can't cool. agree more. We're so on the same page today, Cara. I love it. Yes. Yes. Okay. So the last thing I wanted to ask you before we wrap up the series is, I want to say, like, remember that pageant skills are life skills. And Cara, both you and I have credited these skills in our career paths for success. So for you, how have these platform skills um, impacted you? Yes. I Well, you know, at 14, having to, to reach out to donors or large corporations, hoping for them to jump on board with, with my event and the mission and the organization, I really learned early on, like not having fear. And the worst thing people can tell you is no. And so that's really how I've approached my, my whole life and my whole career since then is, you know, when, when trying for opportunities, it's like, oh, the worst thing they can say is no, which is mm-hmm. what they've already told me. <laughs> so, um, you know, and, and it's, you know, building those, those networks 
networking opportunities, making myself seem credible at 14 years old that I'd be able to put on my own event when I wasn't even like of legal age to sign a contract. Uh, again, like, you know, it was it was these skills that I had never learned. A lot of my peers weren't learning um, and you kind of develop over time. And so, I mean, it made me a pretty fearless leader. It also led to my interest in entrepreneurship and business because I, I learned more about organizations. I learned how they functioned. I learned about, you know, targeting a, a certain target market. And now going into law, I mean, I was, again, something I was interested in is, is the legality behind, you know, nonprofit organizations and, um, you know, learning, learning all of these aspects of what can you do, what can't you do when it comes to fundraising. And, um, you know, it, it really has paralleled most of my life. And I really think, you know, my platform, my experience has, has given me the path that I've realized where I'll be the happiest. Mm. So although I'm, I'm really doing what, you know, I had, had, you know, done in my platform, all of those skills and the training and the lessons and the times people returned back letters that said no, and then those that turned back letters and were like, here's a, here's a check for your organization, uh, you know, really, really paralleled what I'll be doing next. So what about for you, Jesse? Well, for those that have been listening to the podcast for a long time, you know that I did something crazy. When I won Miss New York International, I was off the heels of losing Miss New York for to Mallory Hagan, who eventually won uh, Miss America. Well, I didn't lose, like, I was like not close. So I'll say that. Um, so I was not someone they called when she won Miss America. I'll say that. Um, so I was like, I'm not done though. I just hit my stride with this platform. I just came into my own here. So I competed for Miss New York International and I won that. And then I was sitting in a desk job that I had no passion for. And I thought, like, I'm wasting an opportunity to make a difference here. So I quit my job. I quit my job. And I said, like, you know, if I do this the right way, I will have all of the contacts that I need to get the job I want down the line. And the national platform for Miss International was the American Heart Association. So I was doing a lot of work alongside them and volunteering with them. And so sure enough, second half of my year as Miss International, a job posting went up for that local organization for from where I live in Buffalo. And I applied and I already knew everyone in the office. They already knew they could trust me and rely on me. So that worked out. And that's where I ended up. And I'm not still there any longer. I'm in the corporate side of the world. But I wouldn't have gotten that job had I not, one, had the platform skills and two, gone over year after year and supported them and provided value of myself. So uh, I will, the only thing I will say, I wrote this down when you were talking, Kara, is if you're a mother listening to this podcast or a parent or a grandparent that helps their loved one compete in pageants, their younger loved one, listen to what Kara just said. She didn't have her mom calling on her behalf when she was 14. She still did the work to gain those life skills. If you are cutting those corners for the contestant in your life, you're not doing them any favors. Have them be the leader so they love it, they feel success when they get a yes, and they can speak to that in their interview. Because if if we say, well, how did you do this? And they're not able to back it up with what they actually did, um, I think it'll work in a negative way, actually. What do you think? Yeah, and kind of going back to, to pet peeves, I guess that's one of my pet peeves mm. is when I can tell a contestant has maybe figured out a platform and and a lot of it does come from family support because you know you're kind of going into something something new, but when they say, Oh well, mom did this or mom did this and it's like okay 
okay, well, what do you do? <laughs> you know, and, and there's a difference between, you know, helping helping your daughter be successful um, and really giving her the, the training and the opportunities, but also having her take take the reins because that's what's going to make her passionate about it far beyond just a competition. It's going to make her passionate about it for life and give her those skills that that we were talking about and potentially a job like how it was for Jesse. <laughs> yeah. So, so Cara, summarize today for us. Yes. So, you know, when when picking your platform, you need to be adaptable. You need to be able to read your audience, um, learn from each interaction that, you know, you have that'll make your platform stronger. Again, it goes back to identifying maybe when there's when there's holes in your platform or, you know, opportunities that you can continue to to develop or, you know, where you can identify those weaknesses, you know, going back to our our wheel and our spokes, maybe one spoke is a lot bigger than the others. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so you always want to be able to, to grow and develop and always look at, you know, if I'm doing this at the local level, well, if I'm competing for a state title, how do I make it larger at that level? Building those contacts, building those connections, building that credibility, um, all very, very crucial aspects to being a successful title holder with also a platform that you are passionate about. So in in totality, in this series, you learned how to find and start your title, your platform title. You learned everything from creating a name for your platform to ideas to where to find organizations to partner with and to make the biggest impact face to face. So all of those things rolled into one really will help make your platform very successful and very thorough so that you're not only prepared for the pageant interview, but you're prepared to serve it for life. So thank you, Cara, for all the witness you've shared. The witness? (laughs) The wisdom. That's the one. Okay, cool. Thank you for all the wisdom you shared with us uh, over the past three episodes. So thank you for listening. And if you've received any benefit from this podcast or from ones previous, or if you have a topic idea you'd like Cara and I to cover, um, please consider giving us a five-star review and sending that topic to jesse at pageantplanet.com. And it may seem like a small action, but it really does help us keep the show going. Until next time, take care. Want to become a part of pageant history? Create a free contestant or business profile on pageantplanet.com to unlock hidden features and connect with other experts throughout the world.